Isn't it good to have to put the shades down? It's good. It's encouraging. Spring is coming, right? Well, I invite you to turn with me tonight in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Some of you uh, may remember that we started uh, this uh, wonderful chapter a number of weeks ago now, and before I pick it up at verse 13, I just want to bring us up to speed and refresh our memories, or if you weren't there, uh, give a summary of uh, of those uh, 12 verses. Uh, The the backdrop of of what's going on here is uh, Jehoshaphat is king of Judah to the south, and things were going well in the kingdom, Uh, but suddenly uh, things weren't going so well. Three nations around them uh, allianced together and decided to invade Jerusalem, and by the time this news got to the ear of the king, they were a mere 25 miles away, and so it was urgent. But the way that the king responds is, uh, is remarkable. Uh, in his fear, he turns to the living God in faith through prayer. And uh, he prays what I think is one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. He, he prays as the people of God are gathered together. Uh, we are powerless and we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. How many times have you brought that to your attention, or has the Holy Spirit brought that to your attention over the last several weeks? I know in my own life, He's done it many, many times. As the the date has approached for the launch of the church plant, reality has settled in a little bit for me. Uh, uh, Things need to get done. And there are many times where I feel this exact same thing. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And maybe you felt that as well as a a parent. I don't know what to do. I'm powerless. Maybe you have felt that in your, your battle against the flesh, your battle against the world. The king here asks God to do what only God could do. And we pick up the story then and see how God miraculously and overwhelmingly answers the prayer of His people. So, let's pick it up at verse 13 this evening. We're going to read through verse 30. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 13. Meanwhile, All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem." 
Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with his people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Let's ask God's blessing. Our Lord and our God, we ask now for the help of the Holy Spirit that we might help these, that we might be helped in understanding these truths with accuracy. O Lord, that the preaching would be done in clarity and that we would all feel a sense of urgency tonight as we are under your precious and powerful living and active word. So bless it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the king, in this urgent situation, as his enemies were descending upon uh, the city of Jerusalem, together with the people of God, cries out to God in this beautiful prayer, we are powerless against this great horde. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then in the passage before us tonight, our God answers the prayer of the king. He answers the prayer of his people. This is the God who answers prayer. This is the God who invites you to come to him, who invites us to know him. Boys and girls, what is God like, the God that you pray to before bed? What is God like, the God you pray to before you eat your meal, when you pray in Jesus' name? What is that God like? This morning we saw what the real Jesus is like, according to Revelation chapter 1. Tonight we're going to see what our God and Father is like, the God who hears our prayer when we come in weakness and in dependency 
by the Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is He like? The first thing I want you to notice is that He is the God of astonishing promises. He is the God of astonishing promises. So there they all were, the men and the women, and uh, notice this, the children with them. Uh, they were not off in VeggieTale land. They were in the assembly with the families, with their moms and dads. So boys and girls, we're really glad that you're here tonight with us in church because God works in church through His means of grace, through the preaching of the Word. And He wants you to listen as well as your parents and grandparents to His message So they're all gathered together, moms, dads, boys, and girls, standing before the Lord, no doubt, and don't miss this, full of fear, full of fear, yet clinging to faith, when suddenly the the Spirit of God comes upon one of their members, a Levite, Jehaziel, who then begins to prophesy. He begins to preach. He stands up in the assembly and he brings a word. Now, these words were not just his own opinion. These words were not Jehaziel's feelings at the time. No, he was simply and yet profoundly a mouthpiece of the living God. He was delivering God's message to God's people at God's time. And that's what true preaching always is. We are ambassadors for God. So preaching isn't just about God, preaching is from God, preaching is by God. That's what true preaching is, when the Word of God is opened and exposited, that is explained. God is in our midst. Jesus Christ, the one who we looked at this morning in Revelation, the glorious Jesus Christ is here with us. Wouldn't it be something if I, if I told you, boys and girls, that next week, here at Harvest Church at 9.30 a.m., Jesus was going to be here? It'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? What if I told you that next week at 9.30 a.m., by the Spirit, Jesus will be here? He's here when His Word is open before us. Verse 15, Jesus says, listen, everyone, thus says the Lord to you. This is not his opinion. This is a message from God. And that's what they needed more than anything else, isn't it? That's what people have always needed. That's what you and I need more than anything else today. Not just an opinion of of a man, but the living and active, life-transforming, faith-forming Word of God. Their fears were far too big for a self-help chit-chat. And so are ours. We fear the future. We fear the unknown. We we fear the what-ifs. And the last thing we need is for someone to stand up front and tell us everything will be okay if we just look within ourselves or try a little bit harder or follow the right program. What you and I need every single week, morning and evening, is for God to speak into our lives, into our assembly, into our families, into our hearts. And that's what's happening here. 
That's what's happening here. Verse 15, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. He goes on, go, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley. Verse 17, but you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. What an astonishing word from God to the people at just the right time. Do you see that army coming? Don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. Stand firm, hold your position, and watch what I'm going to do. This is an unmistakable reference to a similar scene at an earlier time in Israel's history where God, through the prophet Moses, tells his people then at the Red Sea... Listen to the, to the similarities. Do not be afraid, said Moses. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. I mean, they were, they were being chased by the Egyptians. Of course they were going to be afraid. Of course they were going to have fears. But God's word says to them, do not be afraid. Watch how I will deliver you. The same word used there for deliverance is the word here used for salvation. In other words, God is saying through the prophet here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, as I delivered your people in the past, so will I deliver you in your present circumstances. Trust me and watch me work. Watch me work. And beloved, God has given to us very great and precious promises through His living Word, hasn't He? And you and I are so often a people of deep fear. But God, over and over again in the Scriptures, speaks to us and reminds us of who He is and, and what He promises. And so as we go into surgery we open up our Bibles and we see Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will sustain you with my righteous right hand. As we're going into unknown territory in a couple of weeks, a lot of questions, a lot of fears in this heart, Jesus reminds me, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Promises, astonishing promises. And, and, and if God could give promises and the people of God could, could cling to them by faith in this old covenant scene, how much the more can you and I just be blown away by the new covenant promises that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. The great exodus, the great deliverance has occurred on the cross. And therefore, because of this, 
no matter what we face, no matter what we experience, no matter how big the enemy is, even the enemy of Satan himself, it's as if God is saying to us, see the salvation that I will perform on your behalf. This is all of grace for the people of God here, and it's all of grace for us, the God who hears our prayers, the God who loves uh, to, to show mercy and grace to sinners. And He's given us His precious Word, and we sing of this Word in this beautiful hymn, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? What more can He say than He's already said? What more can he say than he said in his word? He's given us his very great and precious promises. So we need to get into the word. We need to dig into the scriptures. We need to come to church expectantly to hear Jesus speak. We need to hear him through the the course of the worship service, the dialogue that happens between the living Jesus and his people. For example... The greeting which occurred this morning. Children, it's when the pastor puts his hands up. The greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so easy for us in the pew or in the seat to let those words go in one ear and out the other because that's just sort of the cadence of the service we're so used to, right? So we got to get through the first part uh, before we can get to the good stuff. But that is the good stuff, because Jesus Christ, through His servant, is speaking to you in your heart and telling you that in Him there's grace and there's mercy and there's peace. There's peace for this troubled heart. There's grace for this sinner's heart. Precious promises over and over again. And here, uh, the Spirit of God fills Jehaziel, stands up in the assembly and speaks the Word of God to the people of God. And what an encouragement uh, this Word was. It's the exact thing they needed at this particular time. So let's treasure the Word. Let's treasure the preaching of the Word. But the second thing we learn about God in this passage is not only that He makes astonishing promises, but He exhibits astonishing power, doesn't He? Astonishing power. Watch closely how the people respond to the promise of future grace. Of future grace. Verses 18 and 19. Then Jehoshaphat the king, right, the the most powerful man in the land in Israel, When he hears of this report, when he hears this gospel announcement, he bows his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Similar to the scene we saw this morning when John, the friend of Jesus, sees Jesus in his glory, and he falls down in reverence and awe and worship so here upon hearing the good news of how God would answer their prayer, the king bows his head with his face to the ground. And the Levites, the Kohathites, the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So here the answer, the response is one of worship, both prayer and praise. The next morning. And I wonder if they slept well. I wonder if they slept well. 
Psalm 127 says, he gives to his beloved sleep. Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which we can rest our head. The next morning, they get up, and the king leads them out into the wilderness to go face their enemies. He tells the people to believe the words of God, the words of the prophet. Catch that. The next morning, he, he, he repeats what had just been said. He says, hey, don't forget what we had just heard last night. Right? We need constant reminders, don't we? Our hearts need to constantly be reoriented and recalibrated to the promises of God and His Word. That's why we need to get in the Word. That's why tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off, we need to get into that Word and, and, and remind ourselves who God is and what He's promised to do on our behalf. What happens next is, I think, uh, a stunning display of faith. At the front of the army... At the front of the army, the king appoints, are you ready for this, John Holmland? Sandra Terhar? What does he put at the, at the beginning of the army? A choir. He puts a choir at the beginning of the army that would lead the nation into battle, and they would go before the army and sing from Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Not exactly the most intimidating military tactic, would you say? Uh, the, 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 the nations, these three enemy nations, if they could see uh, Israel marching forward, must have laughed. How weak the church appears to the world. I mean, we come, we come on Sundays and we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and, and the world laughs and scoffs. But this was how confident they were in the promise of God. His word of comfort led to their songs of praise. Even before it comes to pass, even before it comes to pass, this is faith and future grace. Listen to Spurgeon on this, on this note. He says, that is the way you should deal with God. Before the deliverance comes, praise Him. Praise Him for what is coming. Adore Him for what He is going to do. No song is so sweet in the ear of God as the song of a man who blesses Him for grace He has not tasted yet, for what He has not got, but what He is sure will come. Spurgeon says, the praise of gratitude for the past is sweet, but that praise is sweeter which adores God for the future in full confidence that it shall be well. So do our praises reflect only gratitude for past deliverances, or do they also reflect trust in future grace, future deliverances, future glory? Well, then God's power is unleashed, isn't it? Look with me at verse 22 and 23 for Bible still open. So they're singing psalms, and when they began, verse 22, to sing and praise the Lord, what does he do? He sets an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Only God could do that. 
But when the church sings by faith in the promises of God's ability to deliver, the enemy, the evil one, is chased away. When we looked at the first 12 verses, we, we, we saw together how much Satan hates prayer. But I think we could equally say that Satan hates true worship. Satan hates true worship, worship in spirit and in truth. He's not altogether bothered by gathering here as long as our hearts are disengaged from the living God. One of the best ways to defeat the enemy is to sing. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? You've got a song in your heart, a song of joy, a song of praise, maybe a song of struggle, a song of lament, but that song is what you're using to, to fight the enemy. That's why we need to get Scripture into our, our, our songs and, and the truths of, of, uh, of the Bible into our, our songs because it's the singing of God's people that allow us in our moments of, of, of weakness to remember. Been to somebody's bedside who has lost their ability to remember things, haven't you? Maybe they don't even know your name. Maybe they don't even know their name. But if you start singing the hymns of the faith, what happens sometimes? They'll, they'll start singing. They'll know the, the verses of every, every line. Because there's something about music that gets deep into the soul. Praise God that you're a singing church. And that you're teaching your kids how to sing. Dads, a word. Teach your kids to sing. Don't be the macho guy that doesn't sing in church. And at home, teach your kids to sing. That's one of the greatest ways to pass on the faith to the next generation is to give them the songs of the church. Teach them to sing. May we be a singing people here at Harvest. May Grace Fellowship be a singing church, known for its singing. Chases the enemy away. Joyful singing and reverent singing. Corporate singing. Astonishing power on display. This is the God who can do above and beyond all that you ask or imagine. So Jehoshaphat says, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you, and look at the way that God is answering his prayer more than he could ever, ever think or plan. So he's the God of astonishing promises, the God of astonishing power, and then lastly, he is the God of astonishing provision, astonishing provision. Now, imagine the nerves Israel must have been feeling as they marched closer that day. This wasn't a video game. This was real. This is real. Verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Can you imagine being one of those Israelites 
and going to the watchtower of the wilderness and, and, and looking out into the valley and seeing dead bodies scattered everywhere. None had escaped. What, what an incredible scene. All were, were destroyed. No one was left standing. What a beautiful picture of our sin, that great army which threatens to destroy us. Yet as we look with the eyes of faith upon Jesus Christ from the perspective of the cross and empty tomb, we see that all of our sins, every single last one of them, past, present, and future, are completely devastated. And that is all of grace. We sing of this too, don't we? My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. All of my sin, just think of that with me for a moment. All of your sin is gone. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, But it just keeps getting better in this passage. They see the dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Not only were their enemies dead, but they got wealthy. Not only do our sins get defeated on the cross... But God gives us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ along with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and unspeakable joy and provisions in this life. And so we sing of that too. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Blessing upon blessing. Not just the forgiveness of sins, but the, the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and blessings and joy and provision and good gifts. So the text tells us that the people of God return to Jerusalem with unspeakable joy and go back to the temple with shouts of gladness and songs of praise. And there's this giant contrast between the world and the people of God at the conclusion of this passage. We're told that fear came upon all the kingdoms while Jehoshaphat and his people lived in rest, in rest. Fear on the one hand, rest on the other. The church father Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Maybe here tonight and you have not bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, and you are restless in your heart of hearts. He invites you tonight to come and find rest in Him. He is a, a, a promise-making, promise-keeping King. He is a powerful King who is able to defeat even your sin. And He is a God of rich and abundant and overwhelming provision in this life but especially the life to come. A few weeks ago, 
said a few weeks ago now, a little bit more than that, Tom Brady won his sixth Super Bowl. Tom Brady played for Michigan. This is the second Sunday night in a row that Michigan football has been mentioned, and that is a good trend. Tom Brady won his sixth Super Bowl ring. About 10 years ago now, he only had three rings, three Super Bowl rings. He was interviewed on, uh, on national TV. He was at the, the top of the world, Super Bowl MVP. And in that interview, he candidly admitted to the interviewer, there needs to be, there must be more to this world, to life than this. The answer, you see, is not in the world's, the world's trophies, the world's success. The answer is found in having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you have loved to have been that interviewer and said, I've got the answer, Tom. It's Jesus Christ. He gives rest. He is the God who, who hears your prayers, children, when you come in Jesus' name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the God who, who invites you to know him, who invites you to call upon his name, even in your weakness, especially in your weakness. We are powerless. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And let us watch then how the God of all creation answers the prayers and cries of his people. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king. Nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Amen. Father, you are the God of glory and grace, the God of astounding promises, power, and provision. Oh, may our hearts tune to that grace today, and may we call upon you in prayer and see your work of grace and power on our behalf. Help us to behold you in all of your glory and splendor and goodness and grace. Help us to be a singing people who delight in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Our song of response then this evening is Behold Our God. Let us stand together and sing these three verses of this uh, beautiful, rich, triumphant hymn, Behold Our God.